This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So again, good morning to everybody. Welcome, for those of you who are joining us online, welcome, welcome to those of you who are joining us in person. And, you know, what a, what a week, you know, it's been. And, and not all of you are coming from the same place, but I just want to see where I'm coming from today as, as a pastor. You know, things come in batches. We know that. And this was a week that, as I mentioned with the first song, you know, we, we actually saw over the last 10 days a, a lot of people struggling with loss. You know, loss of a loved one. Four families who are connected to New Church Live went through that. And, you know, I write sermons way, way, way far in advance. And it was just interesting. We had a beautiful celebration of life for someone many of you know, Leo Hagen, yesterday. For those of you who don't, wonderful mom. Uh, and the sermon I'd written six months ago, just certain parts of it just fit really well with the way Lee lived her life. And so today, I, I'm going to be talking about that this, this story, and it's an important story, it's a beautiful story, talking about parts of that, that experience as well. Because, because I, I, think it's, I think this is true. I think this is true. And I, I, I really do believe this. This is an Anne Lamott phrase. Those of you who know me know I use it all the time because it's just so good. Which is the idea of threshold wisdom. Threshold wisdom means we, we come to the edges of life, however that looks. Sunrises, sunsets. And there's, just, there's a wisdom there. Matter of fact, Alamont believes that's the only place where real wisdom actually exists. And that's interesting to me. That's worthy of our attentiveness. And that's worthy of, of looking at a story in the Bible and, and being able, and I think this is so much the, the joy of the, of the new church for me, isn't seeing these stories as detached and way off, but to see these stories as really woven stories. Stories, here's our life, here's these stories, and if if, if we can take a breath and take time to see, we, we see how they weave together and we understand the universality of the human experience. Can I share something important with you to hold today? It's this. We're talking about a lens here, not answers. We're talking about a lens, not answers. Spirituality, the spiritual life, gives you a lens to see things with. So again, if you haven't come to New Church Live that often, you're here for the second or third time, or you're just here for the first time, or you're checking us out online, I, I don't want to ever come across as saying, like, boy, if you listen to everything I say, life is going to go much better tomorrow. Because guess what? It is, it is not. You're still going to have all the same things. <laughs> but maybe the lens shifts a little bit. I think that's important. Maybe the lens shifts a little bit. Maybe we start to, to see things in a little different light. And, and it's not a light where things like go from blue to green or matrix stuff or anything like that. So we just, we just start to see, see things a little more clearly. Now what that means, if my analogy holds true with a lens, and we start to see more clearly, that means we'll be able to see the good things more clearly and the difficult things. And the difficult things. Because so much of understanding the choices in front of us is understanding the story we're in. 
And if we get a little bit of clarity about the story we're in, it makes the decisions that we make just maybe a little easier to make. And I I don't really believe, like, if somebody says, well, does God want me to go to the left or the right? I'm going to tell them, yes. So I think it's how God works it. God's going to go with you any step you take. We sort of, we can't get away from God. Thank you, God. But it's the idea of, like, God holding this whole story. So the, the, the story I, I want to share with you today, it's, it's a story of, of these, these people. And we started talking about this last week. These people are stuck in slavery. They, they find this very reluctant leader. They're reluctant to leave out of slavery which for all kinds of reasons. He's reluctant to lead, which sounds so much like the human condition, right? But he does because kind of God tells them you're going to do it. So, so they lead, and then they, they, they get that initial burst of freedom. And then all of a sudden, they're stuck. Stuck. Could we say the word stuck like you're stuck? Stuck. stuck. We're just stuck. We're just stuck. And how do they get stuck? Well, they get stuck because of the geography of this story. Because of the geography of this story. On the left there is Egypt. Way up to the top right is the promised land, modern-day Israel. And if you come down the Nile Delta and you come south, south about halfway, and then you, you hang a right, you head east, you hit something called the Red Sea. So what happens is they, they, were, they were originating sort of about halfway down that. They were coming across east, and they hit this thing called the Red Sea. Moses has led these people out. He's, he's finally, like, they're, they're headed to the promised land, and, and just, you know, like Josh's song, like, you know, this belief that tomorrow could be better than today, you know, and you can imagine pieces of hope starting to come up. And then all of a sudden, and they wouldn't have known that body of water was there, by the way. They'd been enslaved for generations in Egypt. They hit this body of water. Now, that may not sound like a big deal to you or to me, but the Egyptian army was in pursuit of them. So literally, I'm going to have you complete the statement here. They were caught between a rock and a... They were caught between a rock and a hard place. In other words, they were stuck. They were stuck. So I want to read to you the, the, the story here. And for those of you who are reading along at home, this is Exodus 14. As Pharaoh approached, and this is the army here. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them. Again, think they're pinned against the sea here. They were terrified, cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Israel that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You think about that place, right? And that may sound like, well, why would they do that? Well, they would do that because you'd do that. (laughs) I would do that. When we don't know where we're going, we want to go back to where we've been. Just typical human condition. Like, I, I, I see it all the time in, in my marriage, in other marriages, when I see marriages that struggle, be that mine or other people that I work with, just as an example, where, where people are like, look, I just want it to be what it was. I want to go back. But we can't go back. We just can't. There's something, there's something, there's, there's the truth there I think it's worthy of us to hear. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm. We're going to be talking about that. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, 
need only be still. That's a fascinating line there. need only be still. The Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. We're going to talk a lot about that east wind. For those who were at the funeral yesterday, we talked about it a lot yesterday too. And turned the water into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. Now, I want you guys again to see this. You know, Pharaoh approached, Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. That's the rock. And then the next picture here. And there's the Red Sea. That's the hard place. Folks, that's like life. That's our life experience. At least it's been mine. We hit a place where we know that the life we had, we can't go back to it, no matter how much we want it. And we just don't have any sense of, like, how am I going to move forward? Like, what does this look like? I want some answers. That's the rock and the hard place. Enter threshold wisdom. Enter things that we really do know to be true. And, and this is going to sound like different, what I'm about to share with you here, but, but I have found this to be true. This is a piece of new church that says that bottom place where God can finally liberate us from despair and planting hope and reassurance. It may actually be a place of growth. That, it's so challenging to understand that because, because I want to be clear. From a new church perspective, God does not, is not out to test people. For those of you who are first timers, I want you to see how smart my congregation is. Watch them complete this statement. And if you get it wrong, I'm sending you home right now. And I'll give you a hint. The correct answer begins with L. God is, God is love. Think about how much you love the people in your life. Do you wake up every morning thinking, how can I test them today? Please say no. 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 You do not wake up thinking, oh, how can I test her today? I know, I'll leave my socks on the floor yet again. Not that I would know what that's about. We just, we don't do that because these are people, we say it again, these are people we love. Your love is junior varsity compared to God's love. It doesn't even compare. In that comparison, it's not the point anyways, but it does, doesn't. So, so that idea that God would test us is crazy to me. God doesn't give people diseases just to see how tough they are. What kind of God would that be? You know, it, it's like you were never wishing illness on, on a kid to see just how well they could handle the stomach flu to see how tough they were going to be as an adult. But God does this. God does hold us through it all. Clearly, clearly holds us through the whole thing. Including those moments. And there's a way in which when, when we're completely stuck and all our story gets stripped away, like there's no story. There's no going back. There's no going forward. 
All we get to do here is we get to figure out a new way to trust. I'm going to come back to trust in the second part of the service. But we get to get a new, a new way to trust. But, but I want to be clear about this. Please listen carefully to this. It's not a trust we choose. It's a trust that we develop because we can't choose anymore. It's not a trust we choose. It's a trust because we can't choose anymore. So hold on to that. I want to tie this back in and this, this basic concept with this idea. Like, like we go into life and we make these decisions that, that actually leave us feeling vulnerable. These, these folks, these happen all the time. Like, you're looking at a bunch of vulnerable people. You do know that, right? None of us in here are invulnerable. The only ones who are invulnerable don't come to church anyway. So, you know, like, like you're all vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. We, we're constantly making choices. Probably some of us have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten choices just today that make us, will make us feel vulnerable. So, so we step into that, and remember last week, please say those two words down there in blue, and then of course, hell comes into us in the form of head bullies, you know, chitter chatter, we talked about that last week, head bullies, asking, telling you you're not enough, who do you think you are? So, so right here, at this moment, right at the end of that arrow there, that's where I think the crossing of the Red Sea is. They did something that was vulnerable. They decided we are going to claim our freedom because that's what God intended. What a vulnerable choice that is. Freedom is a vulnerable choice. Freedom is a vulnerable choice. Taking responsibility for our lives, real responsibility, is a deeply vulnerable choice. And then the head bullies, of course, we make that vulnerable decision. The head bullies will say, who do you think you are? You're not good enough, all that stuff. Uh, I could activate head bullies right now by saying, here, can I activate your head bully for a second? All right, if I was to say I'm coming out in the audience and I'm going to randomly pick someone to sing our next song. (laughs) Your head bullies, yeah, like, I see you doing this. Like, no way. The band's going, yeah, but you guys are going, no. You see, that's, that's, it's just, it's instant, Right? And all hell is looking for is that one little chink in the armor. And head bullies galore. Now, now when we hit that, when we hit that moment, we hit that stuck place, it's easy to think that, well, there's these big grand answers and we'll just, we'll find the answer to all this, right? Sometimes there are answers. I want to talk about today the times when there's not. There's just not an answer. As a pastor, I find that such a humbling part of my job where the ego part of me wants to give an answer in a situation, and the fact is, there is no answer. There's the Egyptian army, and there's the Red Sea, and that's all we know. We're stuck. The only choice we can make at that moment to get the circle moving is this. Courage. That's it. 
Courage. Renee Brown offered two beautiful quotes with it that I want you to think about. And, I, and, I, and we're going to look at this courage and we're going to come back and tie all these pieces together. But the idea from Renee Brown of courage, the idea of this, and I think this is a beautiful concept here. The idea that with courage, I cannot find a single act of courage that was not born completely of vulnerability. That's really interesting. Can I give you a little aside there? This is like crazy. It may mean that dangerous people who are people who believe they're invulnerable but have courage. <laughs> that idea that, that vulnerability and courage are, are tied hand in hand. She also goes on with this beautiful concept as well. Our driving values then must mitigate from poorly imagined comfort, security, success, and recognition to courage. Folks, just imagine, put yourself, like, like think of where you're going to have a vulnerable situation this week. Where's it going to be? Notice how quickly our minds go to, oh, well, I wouldn't have that if this comfort was there, or if this security was there, or if this success was there, or this recognition was there. Like, then I would be just fine. But that's not the, what we're talking about today. I mean, some of those times that will be true. But placing yourself in that situation where you're deeply vulnerable and where all you can choose is courage. As the band comes out, think about that. All you can choose is courage. That means you might fail. But success or failure was not the question. The question was courage. Can you bring that there? I mean, that, this is so big, I, I can't quite get words around for it, so I'm sorry if I'm stumbling around a bit. But if we can do that, if we understand, all right, so I'm going to place myself where it's vulnerable. I'm going to understand there's going to be head bullies. I'm going to make the decision that I'm still going to be courageous. And notice how courageous, it doesn't loop you out of vulnerability. In some ways, it loops you right back into it. But you're still, your primary virtue is courage. If we can do that, and this is the beautiful song we had last week that I love so much and asked the band to do again. Again, with opening up, learning to trust love. What we see is we see moments that start to grow and grow and grow and become our lives. Because we finally maybe have figured out what story we're in we finally made a lens that can just see for today a little more clearly about what God is asking of us. So this courage part, we, we do our best. We're, we're, we're stuck. And, and it just, I mean, just for a minute, just again, keep coming back to I'm feeling vulnerable. Here's the head bullies. What's my choice? My choice is courage. You know, watching families go through loss and navigate deeply challenging times, like sometimes that really is the only choice, is just simple courage. Just simple courage. Now, what might that courage look like 
If we look at the biblical text, what, what might that courage look like sometimes? I want to say is that it's, it's easy to look at this story and to think of Moses and all his worries and these children of Israel who are wanting to go back and to say, oh, these people weren't being courageous. You, you look at all their worries and concerns. Courage is not the absence of those things. It's not the absence of all those worries and concerns. If you figured out how to absent your mind from all that, please let me know because you should preach on us, <laughs> preach for us on that. I think it's courage is, is when we go like, yep, and that's there too. And my primary value with all that stuff will remain courage. My primary value with all that stuff in this stuck place, will remain courage. Moses, children of Israel, which is really a story of you and me, they were, crea- they were courageous because they saw it through. They didn't run. They sat there with their doubts, with their worries. They sat there with questions and all kinds of stuff. And they sat there with their courage. I think maybe three ways the courage could take form. Let's, let's say these together. I'll say it, then you say it. The first, be still. The second, trust. And the third, go. Be still, trust, and go. Moses, first thing he says is like, just be, be still for a minute. That's, that's a big one. We were talking about it in sermon writing team, and a dearly beloved friend said, yeah, you know, when I got married, I had a really hard time because my, my wife would start crying about something and I would want to flee from the room. Anyone else have that reaction when someone else gets a little teary? Right? You know, some of us are very uncomfortable with tears. For me, I'm very uncomfortable if people start to disagree. You know, I, I want to flee the room. I think this be still part is just like, be still. <laughs> just sit with this. Maybe the better way we would say it today is just sit with this. Be still. Just be still. Then comes the second part, which is trust. And again, I want to be clear. Like, like this is a hard-earned trust we're talking about. We're not talking an easy trust here. We're talking a trust because there is no other choice. There is no other choice. I, I know a lot of you have, that, have had that experience. Like a lot of us have experienced a loss, and really there was no choice but to get up the next day and take the next step. Could I get an amen on that? Amen. You know what I'm talking about. It was interesting. We were talking about that in, in uh, you know, again in our in our team, and and you know, I as a pastor, I, I feel very strongly about trusting God, trusting God, trusting God, trusting God. That's really important. And yet at times that can come off a little like poly, Pollyannish, maybe not the right word, but it can, for me, I, I, I think of a televangelist preacher, you know, when I hear words like, just trust God, just trust God and send me a thousand dollars and you'll be good. And it's not what we're talking about here. It was, it was interesting. We're chatting about it and, and somebody said it and it's, it really is true. They said, yeah, trust God. This is all it means. Can I tell you all it means? This is important. 
Trust God just means trust love. Trust love. I don't trust the outcome will be this. I don't trust the outcome will be that because I don't know. I'm going to be as courageous as I can be. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust love. That simple. So we learn, we learn that trust as best we can. And then comes this beautiful part of go. Yesterday at the, at the service I did, yesterday, the memorial service, we had everybody say, let the east wind blow. Just where I want to tie the two together. So can we say that together? Let the east wind blow. It's beautiful. Here they are stuck, and there's, there's no way out, and there's no way they can actually make a decision that would pull them out of that. And what happens is that Moses stretches out his arm. And the east wind blows. The east wind blows. Take a look at that line. A strong east wind. New Church puts it this way. That is the power that comes when we exercise charity in the world. When we serve out there into the world. Where where before we had seen no way forward... And then all of a sudden, a way opens. Now, I would love to share a story with you about that, but I'd love for you to hear it from each other. So what I have are four chairs up here. Now, I know some people get nervous about being on camera, so you're actually facing the screen for this exercise. So I'm going to ask for four volunteers who would like to come up, Sit down in these four chairs, and your task is going to be simple. Each of you will have one paragraph of one story to read. They're going to read through the paragraph, and the booth is going to cue pictures as they read. All right? So I need four volunteers. Each of you will read one paragraph, and I need you to sit right here. So please come on down. I didn't know this. It's Joe's birthday. Happy birthday, Joe. (laughs) So what we're going to do is this, is we're going to read from left to right. And I'm going to have you read, reading one, reading two, reading three, reading four. Okay? And just give me a minute to get back up on stage. All right? So with this story, folks, what I want you to hear is I want you to hear the east wind blowing. All right? It's not a story about somebody stuck in a bad place. It's just a story of the east wind. And I want you to hear how this story, and just feel, maybe you can even feel it in your body, how the story starts to open a certain space. It's about a poor family, very poor family, and what this grandmother did to allow that east wind to blow through this very small house. My grandfather never questioned the grocery bill. 
All other expenditures fell subject to his review, but the grocery shopping belonged entirely within my grandmother's domain. Papa had good reason to be frugal. Though we never went hungry, we lived on relatively little inside our 526-square-foot home in rural South Carolina. Under these circumstances, Papa kept a tight grip on the finances, even meeting out our weekly contribution to the church, $10 for the offering plate, plus $1 for each grandchild for Sunday school. Our offering was by no means a widow's mite, but neither was it stingy in relation to our family's income. Context there, 500 square feet, folks. If you added our living room and our kitchen together, that's about 500 square feet. That's, I mean, a, a house, an average, you know, um, rancher is like probably 12 to 1300 square feet. Just to give you a little perspective on how small their house was. As far as I know, Papa never discovered the secret of my grandmother, and I shared. Every Saturday, she and I whisked into town in her faded blue Ford Torino. As I pushed our cart up and down the aisles of red and white, she carefully selected food in duplicate. Two boxes of cereal, two jars of peanut butter, two bags of flour, until our cart looked like an abstract rendering of Noah's Ark and its produce and non-perishable food items arranged two by two. Then we'd check out, an achingly slow process involving a hefty stack of coupons, load the car with heavy paper grocery bags, and drive straight to the town's food bank, where my grandmother would donate exactly half of everything she'd just purchased. She bought my silence each week with a small candy bar, which was not immune to her rule, one chocolate treat for me and one for the food bank. One of these grocery trips, when I was eight or nine years old, I asked my grandmother for a name brand cereal I'd seen on a television commercial. We can't afford that one, she replied, without looking up from her list. We can if we don't buy two of them, I grumbled under my breath. My grandmother's eyes met mine. She put her list down so as to place her hands firmly on my shoulders. She measured her words as carefully as my grandfather had measured the dollars for our Sunday offering. If we can't afford two, we can't afford one. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. I love that line, if, if we can't afford two, we can't afford one. That's the east wind blowing. Can you feel it? You know, you can sense it in that story. That's the east wind. It gives us answers where there might not be, but we, do, we learn to trust that. I think back to times that I've seen the east wind recently myself. The beauty of that. And how that, how that moves forward. And I want to share with you just a couple of stories. These are just East Wind stories about our congregation, our community that we share. And they're story again, stories again related to Lee. 
Some of you know, most of you don't. Lee had decided when she knew she had X amount of time left, you know, and it's this stuck place, can't go back, there's no going forward. She decided that the family should celebrate all the 2019 holidays over the weeks that she had left on this earth. So I got to go over and enjoy 4th of July in January. How many people get to do that? One of her daughters made a beautiful observation, too, that if mom lasted really long, they'd have to go through the second-tier holidays of Labor Day, etc., etc. Another beautiful part of the east wind was this. She was really clear as she came to the end of her life that she wanted her loved ones to do some service as part of, part of this time of life. So they did uh, blessing bags. I helped them out with some blessing bags doing that down in, down in the city. And then also went with Joe, I mean, excuse me, with Paul down to a, to a homeless shelter. And it was fun. Paul and I both, both got put on the wait staff. I got to be a waiter. I'm like the world's worst waiter, but it was, it was fun to do. Fun to do. And then it, then it comes to the end of the evening, you know, and you take tickets at this homeless shelter for people and then you serve them. And, and Paul counted out 37 or 38 tickets. I forget how many. And, you know, you're supposed to throw the tickets out. And Paul's like, no, I'm not throwing these out. I'm taking them back to show my family. And I got a great picture of him with the smile. That was just a few days before his wife passed. It's, it's those moments that remind me of the east wind. It's not like those moments cure life when we're in that stuck part. But they sure are part of healing. They sure are part of healing. Like all the decisions that could have been made you know, there were these decisions that were made about family and connection, which is beautiful. And there were also these connections of love and looking out. There was this east wind that ran through it all. And, it, and it's hard for me to get language around it, but, but there's a way in which that's where, maybe this is the only phrase that can vaguely capture it, maybe that's where the divine surprise is. I mean, just, just think of those, think of those people caught in their fear, and there's an army behind and a, and a sea in front, and what are they going to do? And they see this guy named Moses, and he's waving his hands. Big deal. But then the east wind blows, and a way opens in the water. They've never seen. I think this. I think the east wind is always blowing. Can we be awake to it? Can we allow it to stir our hearts? Can it allow can we allow it to teach us how to live? I, I said that yesterday at the memorial service. Lee didn't do those things because she wanted to show people how to die. She did those things because she believed that one of her roles here on the earth was to teach us how to live. This week, let's just make a simple commitment. 
and it's this. Let the east wind blow. If you're stuck, if you're not stuck, whatever it is, just, just find a way to let those words and that wind and that love move around you and through you. Understand all of us are going through those vulnerable places. Don't shy away from them because of the head bullies. Lean into that vulnerable place. Understand there are head bullies there. Make the decision for courage. Stand still. Trust. And my dear friends, when the water's open, I'd ask you now to join me in a prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer, and then you have the opportunity to to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to have a moment of quiet reflection as we think about this topic of what does it mean to open up and trust love. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for this amazing congregation, this group of people, this gathering. As we gather together, Lord, searching for ways to open up more and more, to open up to ways in which we can actually trust love, that we can actually come to trust you. Thank you for everything, Lord, again, that is offered here today. Lord, and again, that beautiful phrase of the strong east wind. Let that east wind blow. Let it move through our lives. Let it move through our hearts. Let it move through our souls. Endlessly fascinated, Lord, that the word God, wind, breath, all the same word, because that is how you move, and that is how you move us. Be with us, Lord, this week. Help us in times where we need to be still to be still. Help us in times where we need to trust, to trust, and to trust love. And help us, Lord, especially when it is time to go, when the waters part, that we remember the beauty of movement. Be with this amazing congregation this week, Lord. Guide our ways. In your name, we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 